You're listening to the Pay Chen Show on In-Depth Radio, News Talk 1010. Hey, hey, happy Thanksgiving weekend to you. Hopefully uh, you get to have a bit of a long weekend with uh, Thanksgiving Monday. I would love to know what you are thankful for. Text in 71010. Let me know what it is, big or small, whatever. It could be something great from today. It could be the weather. Uh, it doesn't have to be anything huge and, um, you know, massive. It could just be something tiny. So text in 71010. This is, <laughs> this is the Thanksgiving show special. Uh, it will not, I don't know, I was going to say I won't put you to sleep like turkey, but I actually can't make that promise. Um, I just came back from a little road trip to Niagara on the lake. I love it there. It is not, you know, it's crazy because it's, it's really not that far, like 90 minutes maybe. And uh, because I don't have a car, I don't actually get out of the city very often, but uh, I had a, a rental car. So I went up there for a night, stayed at a friend's place and a little girl's weekend. And uh, it was so nice because the past two days, so we went up on Thursday, came back yesterday. We had such great weather. And for the first time, I visited those outlets, those outlets that are just as you're like pulling off to Niagara on the lake. I'd never been in there. And I got to tell you, I did some serious damage. So we were there on Thursday to shop. And my friend who lives in Niagara on the lake, um, because it's like the mall that's closest to her, so she knows it quite well. And she said, you know, FYI, a lot of those stores will have extra deep discounts starting on Friday because they're gearing up for the long weekend. And then this is a little lesson I learned. So every store that we walked into, she would ask them, are you doing further discounts tomorrow? Or she would say, do you have a promotion for the long weekend? And some of the stores we walked into said, yes, we do. We're going to discount another 20% starting tomorrow for the weekend. And she would say, well, um, because we're shopping today, would you, would, would you honor that discount today? And I have to tell you, Every store that we went into where they were going to do like a long weekend, um, like additional discount, they gave us the discount a day early. So if you don't, I mean, you'll never know if you don't ask. It would have never occurred to me to even ask a question, like to, to ask, you know, going into, let's say, the J. Crew outlet to say, hey, do you have an extra sale? Not all of them were doing something special for the weekend, but a few were, and they were more than happy to, if it was like an extra 10% or whatever it was, um, to just give us the discount the, a day early. So I felt like I saved money, really. I mean, I spent a lot of money, but in a weird way, I saved more than I spent. Um, so anyway, that's my little shopping tip for you. I have to tell you about a meal that we had in Niagara-on-the-Lake. It's at a restaurant called Backhouse. Um, I am not super familiar with the area, so I asked my girlfriend there for suggestions. And uh, and we went, and I have to tell you that, you know, it was one of the best meals I've eaten this year. And that says a lot because I eat out, uh, I try out a lot of different restaurants for work-related things, obviously, working in food and media. Um, and it really, truly, truly was one of the best meals I've had in a very long time. It was incredibly reasonable. Uh, it was, um, you can order like a la carte off the menu. There's also a beautiful tasting menu that you can do for $69. It has about eight courses and a few little, like, little bites in between there. And uh, the owners of the restaurant actually have a farm and a lot of the vegetables and the food that you're eating on the menu actually comes from their farm. And we had this one beautiful tomato soup that had 26 varieties of heirloom tomatoes in that soup. Um, those tomatoes, of course, coming from 
the farm of the restaurant. So it was really wonderful. It's called Backhouse. I highly recommend it. And then when I was there, I realized um, in talking to the chef and the owner that they are one of the um, they're one of the nominees for the En Route Canada's Best New Restaurants list. So that's something that you can go online and, and vote, and you know maybe they'll get narrowed down and see where that goes. But I thought it was really great for like a little restaurant in Niagara on the Lake. It was really nice uh, to see it full and just to just to have such a really cool experience and something quite reasonable for the number of courses that you get. Um, we also visited, and if you are familiar with that area, then you probably know Avondale ice cream. I'd never heard of it before, and ice cream is like my favorite food. So um, my friend Joanne knew that, and we drove out to this place called Avondale, and it's like this old, um, I mean, it's a little old, uh, like dairy bar, and they do all of their own ice creams in there. I don't even think they wholesale. So she was telling me that in the summer during the like really hot days, the lineup just goes like out the door, um, you know, through the parking lot. But because we were there, we were there yesterday. We went in the, we went when they first opened that day, and uh, it was really great. They do like the they do classic Sundays. They do banana splits. Like they've got this menu of different banana split varieties, and you can mix and match your ice cream if you want. There's like the monster banana split with like five or six scoops. It's really. It's really massive, but you know when you have more than one spoon, you can kind of uh, you can kind of do it. You can share it with a few people. So I also want to remind you that on my website paychen.com, click on blogs. I'm giving away a Philips pasta maker on my website, and the contest closes on. Uh, I think I'm closing it on Monday, Thanksgiving Monday. So you still have a shot to enter. Uh, thanks to those of you listening who entered last week after I spoke about it on the show. It's a really great machine. It retails for just over three hundred dollars, and it will if you love pasta and you've tried to make homemade pasta at home, this machine will really change the way you do things. It is so simple. You just pour in the dry ingredients, your flour, and then you it tells you how much of the wet ingredients to put in. So that can be water or water and eggs. And that's it. And then you turn it on and it does all of the work for you and it pushes out the noodle shapes and you're good. There's no you know mixing for yourself and kneading and letting it rest and rolling it out. All of that, which is great if you want to do it. But if you want sort of like quick and delicious, this is a solution. So paychan.com, click on blogs, and you will find uh, the information there for you to enter. And you can enter up until um, Monday. So good luck. I wanted to yeah, yeah text in and let me know what you are thankful for this Thanksgiving. And uh, I'd also love to know how you're if you're celebrating it. I... Um, as some of you know, my parent, my family isn't here because I'm from the East Coast, and then my brother's out in the West Coast. So I don't usually do things for Thanksgiving. I just find it's kind of a quiet weekend because people are hanging out with family. Um, but then my friends and I, who don't, you know, have family here, um, sometimes we do a friendsgiving. So uh, my one of my girlfriends has decided that she's going to host a friendsgiving dinner, and it's just four of us going over. But she wanted to do it because she loves cooking turkey. And I've never heard anyone say that. Like I've never heard someone say, I just love cooking turkey. I love eating turkey, which is why we are very good friends. Uh, Coming up in the second half of the show, just to let you know what's coming up. uh, What do you know about the seafood you're eating? Do you know if it's actually sustainable? Because I think a lot more people, now that we're being educated and we're aware of the fishing practices and the fishing industry, people are choosing to um, eat seafood that's better for the environment as well. So sometimes 
things are not properly labeled. There's a thing called seafood fraud where you might actually think that you are buying and eating something that's sustainable, or you might be thinking that you're eating a certain type of fish, but in fact, it's not at all. It could be a fish that's actually half the price of the one you you thought you bought. So I'll talk. Uh, I'll tell you about a program that traces the DNA of seafood, so you know exactly what kind of fish it is and where it was caught. Because you don't want to be paying for that expensive fish that you're splurging on, but really getting you know something that's a lot uh, a lot cheaper. So tune in to find out uh, the seafood you should be eating and how much of it is actually mislabeled. And uh, coming up, actually after the break, uh, Chef Laura Kirk from Ruby Watch Co is here. We'll tell you why. If you're going to just, you know, maybe have one dinner out this month, you should really, really make it Wednesday, October 19th. That is the night that if you're going to treat yourself or you're going to celebrate something, um, you should think about eating out on October 19th um, because it could really make a difference for people living in low-income communities who don't have the luxury of dining out. We'll tell you how that's going to help um, Canadian food centers and uh, and help people with um, ac- help people who don't have access to healthy, nutritious food all the time. So by you eating out, you can be helping other people and Laura will fill us in on that. I want to tell you uh, about this really cool app that is not in Canada yet, but I really, I'm hoping it comes here. So when we're talking about food, um, there's an app that launched in the UK. It's called Too Good To Go. And I think it is such a brilliant concept. Um, They're basically trying to eliminate food waste by allowing people to purchase food that might be thrown away at the end of the day, but for like an insanely huge discount. So it gives users a discount from local restaurants on food that they wouldn't be able to sell after the end of the business day. So think about, let's say, your local coffee shop that's got maybe some muffins and donuts and sandwiches. Well, they they can't sell them day old. So they... More than often, actually, uh, they get thrown out um, for different reasons. They get thrown out, but this app is going to want to divert a lot of the food that gets thrown out um, by letting people purchase it at like the equivalent of you know three to five or six dollars Canadian. Uh, so what it does is you log onto the app. And you can pick the kind of food um, that you want. You can actually, it'll show you the restaurants and you pay from your cell phone. Now, you don't actually get to pick the exact dish, um, but it'll give you an idea. Obviously, if you log on to the sushi restaurant, you'll know that it's sushi. So um, it's, a, it's diverted a ton of food actually from the landfill and from being wasted by um, launching this app. So it's called Too Good To Go. I know it's not here yet, but I'm telling you about it because you never know it might move over. And I think it'd be pretty uh, great if it did. But I went online to the website and there was like stuff from bakeries. There was like cakes and cookies and breads. And then there was like trays of, of sushi and then like, you know, lasagna and all kinds of, all kinds of really good stuff. So I think it's a pretty brilliant idea. So again, uh, com is the website you can find there. Uh, podcasts. If you missed the show from last weekend, I had chefs David Lee and Tyler Shedden on the show. They're talking about Planta, which is a new plant-based restaurant in Toronto, meaning it's a vegan restaurant. So if you're curious about that at all, uh, then I suggest you tune into the podcast from last weekend. And again, you can enter for your chance to win a pasta maker. So coming up after the break, uh, Chef Laura Kirk will be here. But right now, we will check your drive with News Talk 1010, Time Saver Traffic. You're listening to The Pay Chen Show on In-Depth Radio, News Talk 1010. 
Hey, welcome back to the show. Wednesday, October 19th will be a great night for you to dine out. Chef Laura Kirk from Ruby Watch Co. is here. Ruby Watch Co. in Leslieville, right? Was it Leslieville proper? Yes, like we're right, we're right there in the heart of Leslieville. <laughs> okay, because sometimes I'll say Leslieville and someone will say, no, we're the edge of the beach. I'm like, oh, okay. Or Riverdale. It's like, what, where are you? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm like, I, I, okay, I just want to make sure. I'm like, I'm pretty sure it's right in Leslieville. We're EastEnders, right? Eh? <laughs> we're, we're the EastEnders. <laughs> it's becoming like, it, in the past few years, it's become the coolest neighborhood. It is. It's like, it's an underrated neighborhood that people don't, I think, if you live in the West, you don't cross over. Yeah. And I think you should. You're really missing out. There's, I sometimes just, in the nice weather, I'll, I'll bike along there. And there's lots of great shops and little, oh. like, like restaurants and cafes and bakeries. Great area. Um, so we're here to talk about Restaurants for Change. It's their third year. Um, and the third year that you've actually been involved. Yeah, it's my third year. I, I was uh, I hit the ground running when Nick Saul asked me to be a part three years ago, and uh, people always ask me like, "Why do you keep coming back?" And it's like it's a process. It's our journey is not over, and like our work is not done. And I'm excited to be a part of it again for the third year. So it actually raises money for Community Food Centers Canada. When you mentioned Nick, so Nick Saul is sort of like the face and the voice of uh, yeah, the big shooter, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> CFCC, and he's been on the show before, and I think. Um, I love the work that they do. I think it's really great. Like, uh, and I know that you have been to some of the food centers and and places they uh, that they have. Yeah, I've been down. I've been to uh, the Regent Park uh, Community Center, and I've actually had lunch there, and it was amazing. Like the the quality of food that people are receiving is amazing, and the atmosphere. You know, you feel like you belong. It's 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 special. Like the beautiful windows. It doesn't feel like you're walking into something. Like you're not supposed to be there. It's like for anybody and everybody. So it's very welcoming. So they're um, Community Food Centers Canada, I guess uh, to summarize what they do is they try to make good food accessible and available to low-income areas and low-income people. Yeah, people who don't have the ability to access those items. And what they want to do is they want to teach you to grow, cook, share, and to advocate for good food. So it's not just about getting necessarily like a handout. Mm-hmm. We're, we're taking that the next step. We're, uh, I mean, I say we, but I'm, <laughs> they are the community mm-hmm. centers. Um, they're teaching, they're educating. So here's people who, you know, who've never seen a certain vegetable, you know, what do I do with it? So right. instead of just saying, here's a, here's a meal yeah. that's good for you, take it today and you're done. But yeah. you're not done. Because maybe at some point you will be able to do it yourself and we want you to do it yourself at mm-hmm. home. So it's more of like an education process. It's a, a community service to bring people together. Well, so, does, it's kind of like that whole saying, you know, uh, the, the teach a man to fish and what, you know, I'm like, wait, I just lost it. Where it's like, teach a man a fish and he eats for life, but give a man a fish he eats for that day. I completely right. botched it, but that's so. That I know what you're saying. Okay, I'm so glad you knew what I meant. Um, but the idea that instead of just giving someone a meal for that to fill their belly for that day, right. perhaps is that they offer um, they offer some education and courses, services where that person might be able to work themselves out of poverty and be in a position where they could prepare that right. food for themselves. There's there's different groups. You got to think about people who are maybe now a little bit older and, and they've lost their spouse and they aren't the spouse that cooks. Oh, where right. are they going to go? Where are they going to join? Mm-hmm. Or you have different ethnic groups who have moved to Canada and, and they don't, they're not seeing their normal local produce. So now what are they going to do? How are they going to cook these things that we grow here in Canada? So so easily accessible for us, and we know what to do with them because right. we see them all the time. But someone coming from a different country is like, what do I do with this? Yeah. So here they're not just being handed a, a, a like a free meal or 
a quick, it's not a quick fix. Mm-hmm. This is supposed to be a long, long term, you know, success. So you're learning how to grow something, sharing something, cooking something. So you're taking skills that's going to last you. I know that they started off um, rather small. I think it was the stop may have been sort yep. of the the um, the roots of it all. And you mentioned the Regent Park Community Center that they have. Um, they've opened up in different cities across Canada, and that basically is where this money goes. Yeah, there's actually eight now across Canada, which I think is pretty. That's pretty amazing. And they're all in different neighborhoods across Canada, uh, where they're kind of like needed the most. Mm-hmm. And you visited the one in uh, Dartmouth, Nova Scotia. Yeah, that's actually the first time I actually met Nick. I was mm-hmm. out there, and again, what a beautiful center they have. You know, again, bringing people together. There's people who, you know, now they have a sense of belonging. Right. They didn't know where to go or how to meet new people. And and then like a food always connects people. It's like the sharing the table. Yeah, you can you can put a lot of strangers around a table and then just have some good food in the middle, and it you know it that, takes care of themselves. They yeah, just the become, barriers kind of yeah. fall. Um, so what they're so uh, the event on well I call it the event, but October nineteenth, Wednesday evening. Um, so there are many restaurants coast to coast who are taking part. And what are you doing for that? So it's it's Wednesday, October nineteenth. It's only dinner service. Mm-hmm. Uh, 19 restaurants here in Toronto alone. So, I mean, a lot for us to choose from here, but mm-hmm. 65 across Canada. Um, so, everybody watch go. We change menu every day. So, that menu that day, I'm going to theme it to a little bit more of like uh, some of my childhood favorites or some classic recipes with a little twist that my mm-hmm. mom or my bubka has shown me. And one thing for sure I will be doing that night is um, my 92-year-old grandma's um, uh, pierogi recipe. Ooh, delicious. So it'll be a little bit of twist. It won't be exactly how she made it, but I, right. I will definitely still, you know, sear it off in butter and there'll definitely be some bacon <laughs> and caramelized onions that she has taught me. I would oh my not, gosh, it sounds delicious. would not take that away from her. But. So basically, so restaurants in 16 cities uh, across Canada are donating the proceeds from dinner service, yes. um, which is a substantial donation. Yeah, that's a, I mean, especially, I mean, speaking for myself, I mean, we're a small restaurant. We're only 65 seats. Yeah. So... To do a Wednesday, and Wednesday, even though a Wednesday might be a slower day for some people, we don't want to take away from the weekenders. Um, we we get full fast. Uh, I, I, we're almost like 60, 70% booked up already. Wow. Um, but I think it's worth it, and we're willing mm-hmm. to donate that that money. I think it's great that so many restaurants have come on board because um, restaurants, there it's a small profit margin. So to donate sales from a whole night uh, is is giving a lot. It's not, cause not just your sales because mm-hmm. I, I also have to then accommodate the actual product I'm bringing in for the night. So it's right. like it's like it's not just the sales I lose that mm-hmm. night, which is for me, yes, it's a loss, but for me, it's a gain mm-hmm. for for giving back to the community, doing something really special. You, it's an event like none other. That's why I've done it three years, and I'll probably be doing it for the next <laughs> thirty-three years. Whatever so it's it not takes, stop. <laughs> it's not going to stop. Keep, yeah. It'll keep going. Yeah. Um, so, restaurantsforchange.ca is the website. You can find out what uh, Toronto restaurants are taking part, and uh, as Laura mentioned, like nineteen in the city. There's nineteen restaurants in the city. You can go on the website to see who's participating, mm-hmm. and if you can't go for dinner that night. Then you can go online to see what else you can do. You can volunteer. You can go to the centers and see what they're doing. There's lots of ways to be involved if you can't go for dinner that night. And I know that if uh, if Nick were here, he'd be like, you know, sign up for the newsletter and donate, which is always like the one thing he always says, sign up for the newsletter and you can donate. But there are many ways to uh, get involved. If you don't have the money to donate, like you said, you can donate time. Donate time, even just to go down and visit and see what, what what's happening there so you can really... And just educate yourself. Yeah. Okay. Be so a you, part still of it. Got, you still got a few tables left on October 19th? A few tables 
left. Yeah. Okay. Don't miss out. You can miss out. Uh, don't miss out on the on the pierogies. Yeah. Because that sounds pretty great. Uh, Laura, thank you so much. Thank Thanks you for, for having me. me. Appreciate it. Uh, we're going to take a quick break here on uh, the Pay Chen Show. You're listening to In Depth Radio News Talk 1010. More with Pay Chen on In Depth Radio News Talk 1010. Hey, thanks for tuning in this Thanksgiving weekend. Uh, I'm sure it's a long weekend for many of you, so hopefully you're enjoying it and uh, you get to, that you have something to be thankful for, big or small. Um, seafood fraud is a large problem that many of us may not actually be that aware of. So we'll find out, I guess, how common this is and what we can do to actually know that what we're buying is the product that we think it is. So I've got Celine uh, Rousseau on the line from the Marine Stewardship Council. Hi, Celine. Hi, Pei. How are you? Hey, I'm doing great. So I wasn't, I mean, I was kind of aware of the idea of, of seafood fraud and the, and the fact that some um, seafood might be mislabeled. And as someone who's trying to become more aware of um, the food that I eat and that I purchase um, and knowing that it comes from a, a good place. Um, I was quite interested to know about the kind of work that you do at the MSC. Yeah, so uh, the Marine Stewardship Council or MSC, we're a seafood uh, certification program for uh, sustainable seafood. And one of the big advantages or benefits um, that seeing our blue MSC label on seafood provides is that you know that your seafood is traceable mm -hmm. all the way back to the fishery that is also certified sustainable. So is and we also conduct, sorry, we also conduct DNA tests mm -hmm. on our products to verify that they're correctly labeled. And the last round of tests uh, came back with 99.6% of products that were correctly labeled. So avoiding seafood fraud in these cases. So um, let's tell listeners what seafood fraud is. That might be a new term for some yeah, and it's been called various different things. Basically, it really is the practice of misleading consumers about mm -hmm. what kind of seafood that they're buying. So most often it's switching out a more expensive type of fish for a cheaper one. And it's obviously economically, um, you know, it's motivated by profits. So they're, they're, they're trying to increase their profits. And often for consumers, it's, it's hard to tell the difference, especially if you're buying a fish that's already filleted or that's been processed and frozen. Um, and so they can get away with it quite easily. No, I first became aware of this um, not that long ago when uh, I heard about, because uh, I love sushi, so I, I had heard about some recent studies that had tested the fish being served at sushi restaurants and that much of it was actually uh, mislabeled. And then I started to realize that that can happen quite often. Like you said, if the food, if the fish has been, let's say, cooked or maybe battered and deep fried, it might be a little hard to tell exactly what kind of white fish is in there. Exactly. Um, and there was a, a recent report, actually, that uh, came out by Oceana, and there's been many um, before that as well. They found that, on average, globally, about 20% of the seafood that they tested was mislabeled. We've quoted other st uh, studies that have shown that it was up to 30% globally that's mislabeled. Um, so it's really important for, for consumers out there to have a really simple um, solution, something that they can turn to and trust, um, that they know that their seafood is sustainable and that, you know, it's correctly labeled. And that's, that's what we seek to do with the MSC. So the um, logo that you're talking about, I, I was quite sure I'd seen it before, but I wasn't really sure where. 
Uh, because I, I often, you know, if I go to the grocery store, if I'm buying fish, I usually try to, I, I usually try to buy something that's local and then I'll look for, there's, you know, some sort of certification that tells me that it's, um, it's a sustainable product and I'm not doing, uh, you know, harm to the, the oceans or the environment. So Love your logo, uh, your logo is a little blue, uh, like fish. Yeah, so it looks like a check mark, mm-hmm. um, but that is rounded out to look like a fish, and it's blue. Um, and you can find it really on uh, every level of seafood. So whether it's at the fresh counter at Loblaw stores or Whole Foods across the country, mm-hmm. uh, you can find it on packaged products, uh, whether they're frozen or canned. Um, you can find it at McDonald's on their filet of fish. McDonald's is really? global. <laughs> yeah, they have a global commitment to the MSC to serve certified sustainable seafood. So you'll see it right on the packet there when you buy your filet of fish. So can you, uh, I guess, tell me the the difference between um, what you, like the Marine Stewardship Council and some of these other uh, seafood like certification logos that, that we might see on, um, on packaged foods or at the grocery store? So the Marine Stewardship Council in Canada is the only actual certification program mm-hmm. um, for sustainable seafood. Um, some others are ratings and recommendations, and while we all work towards the same common goal of making sure that consumers eat seafood sustainably, um, the difference with ours is, one, the traceability of the system, uh, because there are two standards, and mm-hmm. it's not only the fisheries that have to be certified, but it's also every single company along the supply chain that touches, handles, sells, distributes, serves your seafood, that has to be certified as well. So as you can see, it's very rigorous, very robust. Um, Every one of those companies undergoes annual audits to make sure that they're still complying. Um, And so that's how, those are the biggest differences um, between what we do and then between perhaps a recommendation program. Right. The other one, the other one being is that we, um, we really focus on the positives and we want to give consumers a very simple solution that they can trust in terms of saying, look for this, choose that. Mm -hmm. So as a result, we don't have an avoid type of uh, system to our, to our program. Oh, okay. Um, Cause I'm familiar with, you know, lists that say like, here are the, you know, 10 most sustainable seafoods to eat, which kind of, they're suggesting you, you choose from that list. And then there's the list of like, don't eat these. Yeah. And that, that can be difficult for some consumers, you know, knowing exactly where your fish came from or how it was fished, what mm-hmm. gear was used. Um, you know, sometimes there, there are some sellers who are not even that well-versed in where their product comes from. So the easier, simpler way we find is to put, you know, a label that consumers can recognize easily, that they can look for, that they can ask for, um, and that signifies what they can feel good about, about buying and eating. And that's the MSC label. So are there certain types of seafood that we should look for? Like certain um, types that are like definitely like these are the good, these are really good picks. <laughs> well, anything with the MSC label <laughs> on it, really. And our program covers most of the, the large or the main species um, of, of seafood products that are most commonly purchased and, and consumed in mm-hmm. Canada. So uh, haddock and halibut, all of the beautiful seafood that comes from our coast, whether east or west, you know, uh, scallops and, and northern shrimp and crab, snow crabs. So there's a really good selection out there. Now, what about um, like easy seafood swaps? Ha. 
Well, you know, if you think about what a white fish, quote unquote, looks like once it's filleted, and white fish basically can be anything from uh, a farmed bassa, which often comes from Asia, mm-hmm. to a beautiful fillet of haddock or cod or, or halibut. And those are precisely the types of fish that once you process them, once you cut them up, once you cook them, they can be really tricky to tell apart. Mm-hmm. So the study I quoted earlier uh, from Oceana in North America, I believe they found that um, bassa, which is that farmed uh, whitefish from Asia was the one that was found to be most commonly replacing other oh. types of whitefish in North America. So things like haddock uh, and sometimes cod. Well, and I would imagine that the bassa from Asia is uh, is much cheaper. So you think you're buying you're you're paying a bit more because you think you're buying perhaps uh, a more high quality whitefish, but what you're getting instead is uh, a, I, I don't know if to call it inferior or a cheaper product. It's definitely cheaper, um, sometimes up to three or four times cheaper. So when you think that you're paying three or four times more than what you should, I don't think that you would be happy about that in any kind of category of of products that you're buying. No, well, you don't really want to be duped that way. You don't want to be, if if you're going to splurge and you're thinking, I'm going to get this really beautiful halibut, but instead you're getting something that's, uh, you know, you're paying three times more basically for a product that you're not actually getting. Exactly. And in that case, in the case of bassa, you know, you might be thinking that you're getting a really nice uh, piece of wild haddock or cod. And in fact, um, what you're really getting is some farmed fish. So not to say that farmed is bad, mm-hmm. uh, but sometimes, you know, if, if you're looking, if you're preferring wild seafood, well, that's probably not what you're getting. Well, it, it depends because usually the price reflects that too. Is if you're buying a wild seafood, you're kind of paying for the wild seafood. So at least that's what you should be getting. Um, Selena, I'm going to ask you to stick around if you don't mind because I, I want to talk about uh, why people should care about sustainability because some people might say, well, you know what, fish is fish. Um, but I think it's really important for people to realize why, that's, uh, why that is something that should be of concern. And we'll also tell people about an event that's coming up where they can kind of do this taste test for themselves. So stick around and uh, Celine will be here to uh, fill us in a bit more about uh, seafood fraud and what we can do about it. You're listening to The Pay Chen Show here on In-Depth Radio News Talk 1010. The Pay Chen Show continues on In-Depth Radio News Talk 1010. Welcome back, and thanks for joining me on this lovely Saturday afternoon. I want to continue the conversation uh, that we started just before the break. I have uh, Celine Rizod on the line from the Marine Stewardship Council. Um, so, Celine, we were mentioning that what you do at uh, the MSC is you uh, you certify and you trace seafood all the way back to the fisheries. Correct. Yes. So people know that what they're getting is a properly labeled product and one that is sustainable. Yes, and wild. And wild, work yes. With wild fisheries, yeah. So um, I, w- I was curious to know about um, sustainability versus cost. I think some might assume that, well, if I'm buying something that's wild and sustainable, it's going to be you know, out of my budget. But uh, I would imagine that you have seafood available that sort of runs the, the range of prices. Absolutely. Um, you know, that, that is kind of a misconception oftentimes that just because it's you know, certified sustainable that it's more expensive. Not the case. Um, there is a wide range of certified sustainable seafood products on the market at various price points. Um, and really and truly, it depends on the species as well and the seasonality of it and where it's coming from, especially when it's wild. 
Um, but you could, you know, find a really beautiful piece of halibut um, that would probably be, you know, above $20 a pound anywhere you go, mm-hmm. um, down to uh, a really nice canned tuna that's certified sustainable, and, you know, that goes for a few dollars. So it, it's, it's not out of range, um, and meaning that everybody can eat sustainable seafood. Uh, why should people care about the fact that their fish is sustainable? I mean, for some people, it's like, well, look, I just want, it's food. I just want to have my fish and chips when I want it. Well, there are a few reasons, but the most important of them is the health of our oceans. Um, Seafood has long been a food staple for uh, populations everywhere, and currently um, there are billions of people literally who depend on it as uh, a very important source of protein in their diets. Um, If you think of even Canada culturally, I mean, you know, we're a country that was built on fisheries. We're Mm -hmm. surrounded by three oceans. And I can't imagine what our country would be if it weren't for our fisheries. Well, I will. So, what about the argument that well, we the ocean is vast and large, and there's plenty in there. There, there is if it's managed properly. Mm -hmm. Um, If it's managed properly, if we fish sustainably, we can very well sustain you know a large portion of our population um, that that depends on it for food. Um, But it is a wild resource. In fact, it's the last major food group that we have that is still wild. Oh, so that's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. It fluctuates um, with various factors. And if we don't take care of it, you know, it, 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 it does not renew itself automatically if we overfish. So, you know, for, for feeding a population, also for economic reasons, if you think that there are hundreds of millions of people who depend on fisheries for their livelihood, it would be catastrophic. If, if we lost that resource. Well, I, uh, I would assume that because what, whatever we want to buy or eat is pretty much available at any time somewhere. So there is a bit of a disconnect, I think, with people and, and you know, where their food comes from. Um, but then there's always the alarm when suddenly something jumps in price because mm-hmm. there's just less of it. Or we hear those warnings that, um, you know, a certain species is being overfished um, and, and soon it won't exist anymore. And then you're paying double for, let's say, your shrimp or your whatever it might be. Uh, and that's sort of when we take notice. But at that point, you know, it's, it's, all, it's not too late, but we're getting to that point. Absolutely. And, and to manage our fisheries and eat sustainably before we get to that point, we'll avoid all of that. The other thing, though, is, is I think we have to, as consumers, be prepared to not always have exactly what we want at our fingertips. If that's just not a sustainable way to live, mm-hmm. uh, we have to realize that a lot of food groups, including uh, wild seafood, are seasonal. So you can't always have it just because you want it. Right. <laughs> and consumers should be ready to switch to a different type of seafood, which is equally delicious, just as easy to prepare, but perhaps they're not necessarily as familiar with it. Are there so certain, just get a little creative. Right. Do you have certain recommendations for this, this type of, this season, this, this time of year when we're like, you know, fall, winter? Is there, are there certain things that are, um, you know, maybe suggested in terms of purchasing? Um, there's a haddock and halibut are mm-hmm. really, are really nice, uh, this time of year. Um, you know, unfortunately we're, we're coming out of summer and summer is a really, is a pretty big season, um, for, for Canadian fisheries, but we do import, um, a lot of the seafood that we eat. So 
you know, it depends on, on where it's coming from, depending on the season. So, you know, the, the halibut could be coming from the Canadian East Coast or from the West Coast. Really, the, the best thing to do is to ask your fishmonger um, what's in season. Oh, okay. That's good. That's a, sort of the best thing to do. Um, so let's talk about an event that's coming up at the Drake, uh, the Drake Hotel on October 24th. You're letting people do a little bit of their own taste test challenge. Yeah, exactly. Um, we're we're partnering with uh, Ivy Knight and her event at 86 mm-hmm. at the Drake on Queen West. Um, it starts at 8 o'clock. It's free for anybody to come, first come, first serve. And uh, we're going to be testing people's taste buds a little bit. So uh, with everybody's favorite, you know, fish and chips, mm-hmm. uh, we're going to be taking two white fish species, um, battering and deep frying them not telling anybody which is which and seeing if they can guess at the end of the night. And that kind of will serve to illustrate, you know, the challenge or the difficulty in knowing exactly what you're getting and what you're eating. Well, I mean, I can just think, I'm just imagining that once you batter and fry something, um, it's really hard to tell what's in there because it's like, well, it's delicious because it's deep fried. Yeah. And I, I'm in that boat totally. You deep fry something for me and I'm, I'm just happy, but, uh, (laughs) It, it sometimes does take quite a well-versed uh, palate to, to be able to differentiate between the two. And, and the two species that we chose do have a fairly significant price difference between the two. So ah, you know, okay. we'll, see, we'll see if people know right. um, if they can tell the difference. Well, then that's the, that's the trick when you're eating out too, is knowing like if you're, you're paying $20 for that filet of whatever it is, um, it might not be that at all. Uh, well, thank you so much. So if people want to find out more information, it's msc.org. You actually have a great info on your website. Yes. Uh, I encourage people to go and check it out. Um, and, and please ask for MSC certification at your grocery stores, at your fishmongers. The only way that we can really make this into uh, a movement that everybody can get behind and really increase the supply of it is if we increase the demand. So don't be shy. So is this something that fisheries typically uh, volunteer for? It's an entirely voluntary program, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it's a certification and there are annual audits, um, all of the partners that we work with, whether fisheries or companies in the supply chain, they voluntarily enter the program. And so it really does demonstrate a commitment um, to sustainability and to making sure that uh, our fisheries are properly managed. Excellent. Okay, so msc.org. Thank you so much, Celine. Thank you for having me, Pay. Have a great weekend. So that was uh, Celine Rizzo from the Marine Stewardship Council. Um, yeah, if you want to, you know, when you're buying your fish, take a look and see if you can find that logo or at least ask questions or visit their website for more information. Just a quick reminder, too, that uh, on my website, in case you're just tuning in, paychen.com, you can click on blogs. You can enter to win a great Philips pasta machine there. Uh, super easy. You just put in the wet and dry ingredients and it does all the work for you. So that contest is closing soon. And I wanted to tell you the story that I found um online, which I thought was great. So it's the story of a man who at 51, he's had just a very humble life. He, you know, wakes up early every day, prepares chicken to sell for a few dollars in a cramped food stall in Singapore. You may have kind of heard of his story because he, um, this 51-year-old from Singapore, he actually uh, was awarded a Michelin star in the inaugural edition of the Singapore Michelin Guide. But the interesting thing is that he doesn't have a big restaurant. It's just he's got like this little stall in an outdoor food market. So his story was of interest to a lot of people because when you think of Michelin-starred restaurants, usually extremely high-end, you know, um, very 
fancy uh, elevated experiences and usually, you know, uh, cost a pretty dollars. But this guy uh, sells soy sauce chicken for like a few bucks, if that. And his food became so well known um, that he he got a Michelin star, which as you can imagine, has really increased his business. So he sells, it's Hong Kong soy sauce, chicken, rice, and noodle. He has seen a 300% increase in customers since he got the Michelin star um, just a few months ago. So he sells up to, and it doesn't even sound like a lot when I say this, he sells up to 160 chickens a day. And that really, you're like, oh, well, it's not tons, but you have to remember that he works out of a tiny little stall. So, uh, and also about 90% of his customers now are actually tourists because people who are, you know, real foodies tend to like to seek out the Michelin starred uh, restaurants to try them because it is quite uh, the seal of approval. Uh, but the reason I'm telling you about him is that here's a man at 51 who's just kind of, you know, worked really hard all his life to support his family without a lot of, you know, extra perks or extra dollars. But he is now in talks with five different companies to sell his recipe. The starting price? $2 million. Yes. So his chicken, uh, Chan Hong Meng, that's his name, Uh, they haven't made a deal yet as far as I know, but that is the starting price for people who want the recipe. Now he would not be the biggest chicken conglomerate because that really is Colonel Sanders who also basically sold his recipe and then has all these franchises across the world. Um, but there are other examples for, uh, for instance, Tabasco. That started when a man named Edmund McKilney decided he wanted his own hot sauce, so he started making it, and now his recipe is basically shipped all over the world. Uh, there's also an 11-year-old girl who wanted to help fight the bee population crisis, so she started selling her great-grandmother's lemonade recipe, which uses honey instead of sugar as a sweetener. She's 11 years old, and uh, she was on Shark Tank once. Now her staff is in 55 different Whole Foods stores and has brought in $11 million. So you might think that that little family recipe isn't much, but you'd be surprised at how well some people can do from it. So... Have a really safe and wonderful Thanksgiving weekend, and I'll be back next Saturday.